In the sea cave far below the mansion, Captain Castigari is isolated on a small island where he's attempting to sacrifice one of the half-orc fighter Bren's old compatriots. If he succeeds in that sacrifice, he will be able to bind the Kraken they have summoned to this location and gain its power. And by they, I'm talking about Castigari and the Kroatoa that seem to be serving him. The party's forced to make a number of hard choices in this, and the dwarf Constantine makes one of the most morally ambiguous choices I've seen a player make in a long time. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. The last session was one of the most D&D, classic D&D-like sessions that we've run for the entire campaign. It involved what was essentially a dungeon crawl beneath the mansion, and the whole thing breaks down into three general parts. The first part takes place in the mansion's basement. And during the last session, we left off with them just discovering a secret door in the basement, and the first part is what happens when they go through that door. The second part of the session was the uh, exploration of the caverns that exist just beneath the basement. And then the last part was what they found in the final encounter in the sea cave. The entire mission was about exacting revenge upon Captain Castigari, who had betrayed them on the island of Skagros. Constantine the Dwarf had been tipped off by Mig's Ten Fingers, who has essentially been the quest giver for the party up until this date, even though the only character to have engaged with him is Constantine the Dwarf. The party was not 100% in alignment on proceeding with this, but over the course of the last session, they discovered that it wasn't just about exacting revenge on Castigari. They discovered that he was up to something extremely nefarious, that it looked like he was summoning a kraken. These are second-level characters. It goes without saying that this gave them great pause. And I think herein lies the greatest lesson that came out of the last session, which is how do you deal with players when you put in front of them something that is so far beyond their capabilities to handle that it's clear that they simply can't fight everything. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But to recap the events of the session, we begin with the basement. They go through the secret door and they discover two of the pirates. Two of Castigari's pirates are hiding down there, essentially, afraid of the sounds they had been hearing up in the mansion above, the fights with the water weird, and also terrified of something that is below them. They quickly kill one of them as he attempts to attack them, but is no match for the party. And they're able to capture the second, and they begin to interrogate him. And what happens is, this sailor is extremely wary of Bren the Half-Orc. He doesn't want to tell him, tell Bren, what's really going on down below. He does tell them that there are these creatures below, these fishmen that can walk, which we'll learn very quickly are Kuo'atoa. But he won't go further than that. He insists on whispering it to Mir, the, the human druid. And uh, the player for Mir Bruce doesn't really want that. I, I got the sense that in the session he really wanted everyone to just hear it. Um, that's kind of the way Bruce is wired. He wants everyone to be involved, and that's a that's a great thing to have in a player. But in this case, this NPC wasn't having it. He simply would not, and it was Bren specifically he was terrified of. The party assumed they were that he was terrified of him because he's a big old badass half-orc fighter, but that wasn't it. Maybe that was part of it. 
What he whispers to Mir is that Castigari has one of Bren's mercenary corps. In the very first session, Bren's mercenary corps was wiped out in service to Castigari when Castigari betrayed them. But one of them wasn't killed. Bren wasn't the only survivor. There was another man, and he's attempting to sacrifice that survivor far down below in order to bind this kraken to the temple that is being built here and thus treat the kraken like his and their god. And what this essentially does is, I think, reach out to the half-orc player, Joe, and engage a little bit of his backstory and what's going on and give him a very compelling motivation to get down there. Joe's character, Bren, is really built around honor. I've played with uh, Joe for the entirety of my life, and I know that honor is a theme that runs very powerfully within him and the characters he plays, and so the thought that there is a compatriot who is in danger of being sacrificed for an evil deed, that's not going to fly with him, and it becomes a, a strong motivator for him to get going and get moving, and it also puts a time clock on the party. They've been very hesitant in proceeding because they're out of all their spell slots, they're out of all their resources that necessitate a long rest to reclaim them, and the thought of going through an entire cavern system without those resources is very daunting. So this initial encounter in the basement with the pirates, while it has a moment that is combat-oriented, by and large it is a social engagement encounter. It involves the interrogation of the pirate, it involves this sort of dynamic between the, uh, the pirate and Bren, and it also involves the players figuring out what they want to do next. But mostly, it puts this time clock on the party to say, either you're going to do this or you're not, but if you're going to do it, you got to get going. And so the party decides to get going. There's another secret door, and this is the one that leads down into the second part, the caverns. So the caverns are pitch black, and... They're not an exceptionally complicated dungeon map. They're fairly simple. And a little bit on how I created all of this. I start with the old school module, The Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. So as a DM, I'm taking the map from the mansion. There is a cavern system below, and I'm using that map. It's a fairly small map. And then using an image editing program. It's not uh, not using, um, I'm using GIMP, I'm not using Photoshop. I'm, I went in and I changed the final layer to be ex excessively larger than it had been in the original and basically structure it the way I want to. I think that's kind of an interesting way to go about this. There's a lot of great material in old school D&D and a lot of it still applies. The only thing I'm using here is the map. I don't even have, utilize any of the names. There's... Um, uh, uh, oddly, in that original module, there are actually pirates involved, and that is purely coincidental. I don't use anything from there, but it, I think it basically means the setting was really appropriate, and it also had a really cool um, ship map, which in the end I didn't need to use, but if for some reason the party had decided to go out to Castigari's ship, the Grigopos, before going down into the caves, I would have had that map ready as well. What happens in the caves is it's pitch black and the party is loath to turn on a light for Mir so that he can see. And they're fumbling their way through. They send Constantine up first and he heads down one of the passages in the caverns to find a number of Kuo'atoa who are vomiting up material from their stomach to create this shrine to a god that is indescribable. 
Constantine tips everyone's hand and, and attacks, and the party is forced to fight them. And they do, and they it's not that hard of an encounter, so they quickly are overwhelming these Kuo'atoa. They get a surprise round in, and I think there's only one left. When the noise of that battle brings the other group of Kuo'atoa around, but they come in behind the party. So there is a hairy moment where um, Voss the sorceress is stuck in the back and is attacked and somewhat alone when this other group of Kuo'atoa, including a Kuo'atoa shaman, who is obviously much tougher than your standard Kuo'atoa, but she manages to hold them off long enough for, of all people, Kalda, the tiefling wizard, to come rushing to her aid. It was an interesting character development. There had always been a connection between Kalda and Voss, but Kalda here runs to her aid without thought to himself. It seems that his character is either enamored with Voss or connected to Voss in a very potent way such that he would throw himself into danger where normally his mode is, he, you know, to say, let's, let's not put ourselves in danger and to hang back and argue against uh, taking unnecessary risks. In the end, they were able to defeat the Kuo'atoa fairly handily. It got interesting with the shaman because he was just a, a lot more powerful. And so the combat, I would say, fell perfectly in that zone of uh, fulfilling enough because the, the party won but was challenged without really ripping into their resources too much. From there, they head down further into the sea cave encounter, which is the final encounter for the, for the evening. Here, it's a large setup. There's the mouth of the sea cave all the way to the south, and that is where the kraken is. So there's this large bulbous head coming up out of the water. There's all these tentacles that are writhing through the water. There's a small island, which is where Captain Castigari has Bren's compatriot and is attempting to drag him onto an altar so he can sacrifice him. And the party, coincidentally, arrives just in the nick of time. Funny how that worked out. But between the water and the party are more Kuo'atoa, including a Kuo'atoa shaman. They do have surprise. The party has snuck up. But Constantine decides to take the opportunity to take out Castigari, and he, he goes for a shot. I don't think he rolled a one, but he rolled very badly. And he's certainly not able to kill Castigari. And in response to this, he gives up their opportunity for a surprise round and because none of the other party members were really ready and the um the Kuo'atoa turn and attack and so there's a, a guiding bolt that is cast on Constantine and successfully hits him he does have some cover but it winds up negating it and then I roll double crits for the two other Kuo'atoa and in a moment the party goes from having surprise and the advantage to Constantine has been taken out Castigari knows he's got to kill this guy fast because he's got enemies coming up on his rear flank and the Kuo'atoa are certainly aware of them. And oh, by the way, there's a Kraken and their second level. So the next things that happen is the party really focuses on number one, holding the Kuo'atoa at bay. So Bren surges forth and kind of does that. The, uh, the rest of the party is trying to find any way they can to stop Castigari from sacrificing Bren's compatriot. They manage to revive Constantine, and he's the best ranged attacker in the group. Um, he's a uh, sort of an archery build of a ranger, and he uses a crossbow. And 
What he ends up doing is in a moment where he's got another shot on Castigari. Castigari has been held off by the mercenary himself who has woken up and tried to stop him from stabbing him to death and has come off the sacrificial table. So Constantine, seeing that the sacrifice is not on the altar, decides to use an area attack. I think it's called Hail of Thorns. So it's a spell that he can cast that lets him basically drop a whole bunch of arrows into an area. And this is the controversial, or I shouldn't say controversial, I should say it's a, an interesting moral choice to actually kind of take out the target, but do it in a way that looks like he was really going for Castigari and that the target was just collateral damage. It's very sneaky. It's very practical because the alternative is that this guy, their enemy, the one who has betrayed them, could potentially have control of a Kraken. And so he makes this hard call to say, we've got to do, we're willing to make the hard, tough choices. We're willing to do anything in order to prevent that from happening. And the party can't tell, but he does succeed. He, he for the most part, takes out Castigari with this, and he does kill the, the sacrifice. The Kuotoa shaman dives into the water and attempts to finish the sacrifice, and he actually drags the body of the man up onto the altar and attempts to sacrifice him, not realizing quite that he's dead. And then the kraken kills the Kuotoa. So the, the whole encounter was sort of designed less to be about fighting everything that's on the board, because you cannot fight a kraken at second level, but to say, here's this challenge, you've got a bit of a time clock on you, how are you going to address this? I was prepared for either to be the case. If the party succeeded, which they did, the Kraken would wreak some damage here and then leave and wreak damage on Outpost 9. If the party failed and the sacrifice occurred, then they would have to run the hell out of there and there would be a Kraken that's bound to this temple. And that would just have further impl implications for the campaign moving forward. But either way, it wasn't going to be a campaign killer. The encounter was designed along the lines of the party has to assess what they can and cannot do. There was a fun moment when Voss the Sorcerer, in looking to do something on her turn, asks out loud, I guess I should just attack the Kraken, and the party summarily advised her against that, and wisely she chose not to attack the Kraken. I think if the damage was enough, the Kraken may have um, lashed out at them, but I, chances are she wasn't going to do enough damage anyways to, to drive the Kraken to to want to take them out. In the end, I thought it was a, uh, a fun session that was uh, heavier on the combat because there were two combats with the Kuotoa in the caverns up above. There was a, a moderate social encounter in the beginning with uh, the interrogation of the pirates. And then there was what I would call a tactical and strategic challenge that was part combat, but also part how can you use your limited resources to overcome the obstacle of, here's this guy who's very far away from you, you really can't get to him, but you've got to stop him from doing what he's doing. And the party was able to succeed at that. There was an interesting moment because the when the Kraken left, there was a water surge that washed away Castigari's body. And the players sort of lamented after that. They really wanted the confirmation of the body because they, I think in their heads they're considering that maybe Castigari wasn't really killed. I guess that's an option. Uh, that wasn't certainly my intention, but I'll, I'll table that for later consideration, potentially. What worked, what didn't work, and what are the lessons learned?
I think what what worked was the structure of the final encounter. It wasn't a fait accompli. It was I, I feel that in this campaign there are a couple of times where I have purposely walked into minor buzzsaws, meaning I have been doing this long enough that I'm aware that there are certain situations that are challenging for players. And I don't mean challenging from a, a quantitative standpoint. I don't mean challenging from a comparing the metrics of their characters to the metrics of the encounter. But challenging from a standpoint of players just don't tend to want to play along with the drama. And at the top of that list is, and I haven't done this yet, um, letting themselves be captured, right? It's a, it's a trope in fiction that occurs all the time where the party or the main characters are up against a foe that is capable of defeating them. They are defeated and instead of being killed, they're captured and then the drama proceeds from there. That is really hard to do in a role-playing game especially in one structured like Dungeons and Dragons, which is really about, we're going to put something in front of you and your job is to defeat it. I think there's a lot of old school stuff where the players were sort of inoculated into making the decision on whether or not they should retreat or not. And that's kind of the dynamic I had going on in this scenario. And I, I think I walked a very fine line in that the party went into the entire night with very limited resources it was entirely possible that they would decide we should turn around and go back. It was not designed so that that was a definite poor decision, meaning you absolutely need to retreat. It was designed so that they could either proceed or retreat. Either way, it was going to be appropriate. And I really like designing things that way because I, I hate giving players choices where there is no real choice, where you say, Actually, you can go one of two ways, but if you go this way, you're going to get killed. That's not really a choice. That's just a trap. So I like to design things so that the players actually have a choice that's real, and the story will change and morph based on those choices. That's the whole point of, of role-playing games versus just writing a, a book. So that final encounter was really, there were multiple paths to solving the challenge, and the challenge was you've got to stop this guy from sacrificing the victim. The motivation for that was either that guy is your friend in the case of the half-orc fighter, or it's you just don't want someone who's already betrayed you to have control of a kraken. Either way, the party was on board with getting this done. But there were, there were significant challenges on the board. There's a kraken. A kraken is something like a CR-30 or something insane like that. It would destroy the party. It wouldn't even be worth rolling. I would just narrate how it kills them. So yeah, that was a door I showed them, but it was, I hope, and as it turned out, was very clear, you should not engage the Kraken directly. That's just suicide. The Kraken represented a barrier between them and the object of the encounter, which was stop the sacrifice. A softer challenge was the Kuo'atoa that was between them and the water and was also attempting to harass them. So there was the pressure that was coming from the Kuo'atoa, but that was something they could decide to directly engage with and did. But how do you get to Castigari? He's on this small island away from them, and you can't go in the water because that's where the Kraken is. Now that too is a soft barrier. They could have gone through the water. They would have been dealing with Kraken tentacles, which would have been a lot of fun. But they didn't decide to do that. They decided to solve it via ranged attacks. 
And this is where that really great decision comes from Constantine. I thought it was so completely in character and everything he was doing, the suboptimal choices he was making are why he's a good player. He's doing things that his character would do. He's not doing stupid things. He's making choices that are colored by the character he's designed. So a big thumbs up, I think. And why I codify this encounter is the thing that I think really worked well, is it because it had all these balanced elements. Sounds like I'm bragging, but the truth of the matter is that as you try to do this, you're going to hit and miss. I think you got like a 50-50 rate. It could easily have turned into a TPK. It could have easily turned into something that was not really fulfilling for the players. In this case, it worked out well. So I, I, I take the victory when we, when we get it. What didn't work so well, I, I still think that the party needs to gel more than they have been. I don't know that the players, and this, this is, I'm overstating this, I don't know that all the players trust each other to the degree that they need to. I said players specifically. They've only been playing together for a short while in this campaign. I think they do trust each other, it's just their styles are somewhat different and those have to be rectified. I think there was a lot of hesitation and doubt around the decision to proceed in the beginning versus the decision to leave. And the fact that the party decided to stay and go after it, not everyone was 100% on board in the beginning. As it sort of played out, I think everyone kind of got into it a lot more, so that was helpful. And it kind of sets up a continuing challenge for me in terms of what should happen next, what should be part of the next session, and how that should play out and, and where I should put my focus. I feel a great need to cross-pollinate the connections in the team, meaning there are people who are very comfortable with each other, and there are people who need to become more comfortable with each other, and I'm, I'm looking to pair up the latter group who needs to build a little bit of familiarity as players. So from a lessons learned standpoint, I think in this case, a lot of the stuff that I had put work into paid off for me. The, the maps themselves were, were really successful. The, the encounter building, putting the time and effort into really cherry picking what should be the elements of the, of the encounters, balancing a couple of really easy um, mooks like the base Kuoatoa with a tougher shaman uh, character to back them up. That's just classic stuff that's like, you know, D&D encounter design 101, but worked like a charm here. Having it be the two groups that could come in um, and potentially turn what is a semi-easy encounter into something, a, a much more difficult encounter. That too was a, was a cool dynamic. And another thing that was awesome was at the end of the night, they decided to make this mansion and cave system their new base of operations, which is just music to my ears. That's it. That's the campaign recap episode. It was a, as I said in the beginning, the most D&D of all the sessions we've run to date. There was this sense of it being a uh, kind of a dungeon crawl, even though we weren't really in a dungeon. We were in a basement and then caves and then a sea cave. I feel it was a session that everyone really got to contribute towards. That's something that I continue to be very sensitive about. I want to make sure that all the players feel like they're engaged in the session, that there's something for them to do, that they have 
an opportunity to play their character. And, and it set us up for a number of very dramatic things to occur in the campaign. As I'll get to in the next audio journal, I think I've got one of my biggest challenges in designing what the next session will be about and what will be the catalysts the party faces and what will be the nature of the encounters that they can go towards because it's a little bit of an open-ended thing, but it'll begin with them discovering the damage and devastation that the unbound Kraken caused on Outpost 9. This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing, throwing us a review, or sharing with your other gamer friends. Thanks for listening.